content warning, sex and masturbation. A pastor and a priest walk into a comedy club. Hi, I'm Father Andrew Miller. And I'm Reverend Michelle Byerly. And this is A Pastor and a Priest Presents A Night at the Comedy Club. Tonight we'll be discussing Jenny Slate's stage fright. So um, Andrew was the one who picked this one to give us some background, but I really kind of resonated with it a lot. Um I could I could get where she was coming from in terms of having stage fright and the the vulnerability that it takes to do comedy. Yeah, so so Jenny Slate is uh, in a, a voice actress primarily. She's in uh, a number of films. Most famously, she's in Zootopia. She plays the evil mayor in Zootopia, and um, she decided to try her hand at stand-up comedy, and the result was 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 quite quite hilarious. It, this. Uh, special that she has on Netflix called Stage Fright is is, is really a, a self-deprecation. Uh, um, it, it's, it's very, very, very self-deprecating and hilarious. What struck me was that she really turns her natural shyness and introversion and nervousness into a joke. And in that sense, takes ownership of it and control of it and, and really liberates mm-hmm. herself from the parts of it that really lead her to suffer or have led her to suffer. And that was that to me was really the overarching theme of the entire of the entire special. And, and, and the, one other thing that I'll say really quickly is, is that we decided that every 10 episodes of Pastor and a Priest walk into a movie theater, we're going to do a, an episode on on a, a stand-up comic that all of us at New Faith and Media are really big fans of stand-up comedy. And and we thought, well, why not? Let's let's do stand-up comics. So uh, we're in for uh, a lineup of the of, of, of stand-up comics ranging from, uh, I think, Gail wanted Bo Burham and... Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of George Carlin and and, and Lewis Black and uh, uh, yeah, just just so many to pick. So why comedy? What what is it about comedy that, as a genre, is so important well, and vital? I, I think you can pick. I think you can make an entire soteriology based on comedy. I really do. Mm-hmm. And in fact, and listeners, shall we define what soteriology is? No, soteriology is doctrine of salvation, the the understanding of how God saves, rescues, restores us from that which is bad in a broad sense. And I'm using very, very vague terms because there are very, very different ways of understanding soteriology. So for instance, the common one that we often hear is that sin and forgiveness soteriology that uh, is very popular among fundamentalist Christians, although I think there's a great truth to it, is that you know the problem is that we are immoral that, that we, are, we, we do immoral things for which we should be punished, and we need God's forgiveness in order to overcome that. And through Christ, we find that forgiveness. That's one of the soteriologies that, that we often see. Another one, for instance, is uh, oppression and liberation. That, that, that's a big one among, well, liberation theology. Uh, the, the sinful powers that behold people in oppression, and through Christ, they are overcome. Um, and there are many different soteriologies out there. So you said that her making light of where she's at and yet still being able to do this performance and all of that is her soteriology then? I really do. Uh, I, I think okay. so. And, and I think uh, humor, especially caustic humor, and by that I mean raunchy sort of attack dog humor that you find in th- folks like Lewis Black and George Carlin, especially that that generation of stand-up comics that came about in the late 60s, early 70s, and really, really continues to this day. Heavily influenced by folks like um, George Carlin and Lenny Bruce and, and people like that, and Richard Pryor and, 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 and etc. So caustic humor, I, I think one of the, the greatest sins that we as, as people commit is we take ourselves too seriously. There's another word for that, and it's narcissism, right? That, that we take ourselves too seriously. Indeed, I think that the character, the biblical character of Satan is the one who takes himself way too seriously, who's just caught up in his own self, right? And to me, if you look at the cross, which is the symbolic means by which creation and humankind especially are liberated from sin, there's a great deal of humor in it. Now, it's very deadly serious, and there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in it, but there's a great deal of ironic, even gallows, even caustic humor in it, because it takes something that 
is a symbol of oppression and tyranny and turns it on its head so that the very thing that oppresses and tyrannizes becomes in and of itself a source of liberation. That's funny if you think about it. And we've talked about that before in our episode on Sister Act. And so the, the point is that sin is that which takes itself too seriously. And one of the ways that we defeat the power of sin is that we laugh at it, is that we, we, we refuse to take it seriously. We, yeah. we, we point out its absurdity. We, we, and, 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 and in pointing out its absurdity, it is conquered. And, and, and there's a way, to me, the role of the stand-up comic is very much so akin to the role of the Old Testament prophet, the one who speaks truth to power. And the great way of doing that, and this is even seen in the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel who uses these very, very humorous object lessons to point out the absurdity of his people. And it's, it is the use of humor to point out the absurdity of those in power and in so doing neutralize them. And there's a reason why those in power often don't like stand-up comedy because it's a very effective tool to point out just how absurd they are. Well, and I thought that it was really interesting. This kind of, we had a conversation about this and you, you triggered me to remember it was, you know, when she was talking about her house being haunted and getting rid of objects that could be haunted. And we talked about the, the process of like exorcism or whether you should burn holy object or burn possessed objects. And we, and we kind of came to the, I, 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 I did a thought experiment that said, you know, what if, instead of like burning it and throwing it out, you make fun of it, you laugh at it, you- Neutralize take, it. You, yeah, you take that power out of it. That made me think of in Harry Potter, which is one of my favorite literature of all time, author notwithstanding at this point. Yeah. It, it's a little bit like how they dealt with the Bogarts, mm-hmm. who are these shapeless, figures who attack people based on their fears and they present themselves as the thing they think that is going to scare the person the most and what really gets a bogart what gets rid of a bogart is laughing at them and turning them into something humorous for example spoilers but you know we see professor snape in neville's grandmother's clothes Mm -hmm. those kinds of things so i think that that what jenny slate does and the whole point of her of her special is that she turns her own boggart into something funny. She, mm-hmm. she, 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 Jenny Slate um, presents herself as being a, a very wounded person, uh, having gone through a, a recent divorce, having a very, very deep-seated fear of loneliness, mm-hmm. and having uh, a very, very strong introversion. And there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. I'm an introvert. Um, mm-hmm. But, and uh, I think, I think, <laughs> yeah, one we're of, both introverts, and yet here we are doing this well, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Together. I mean, intro- yeah. And I think in part fact, of it is overcoming that introversion. Well, yeah. I mean, well, my point in saying this, I don't think introversion is something to be overcome, but there are advantages, mm. disadvantages of being both an introvert and an extrovert. And one of the disadvantages is, is that you, there's a sense of loneliness that goes along with it. And there is a sense yeah. of nervousness that goes along with it, a sense of stage fright. And that's why she calls it her, her, her special stage fright. And, and she takes that demon and turns it into a boggart and neutralizes it. And in that sense, to me, the entire the entire special is her neutralizing her own demon and coming to a sense of peace. And it's very, very, and we're definitely going to get into sex in this, uh, in this special because she, oh yeah, because she talks a lot about it about her sexuality in a very healthy way. And it's interesting that it culminates in her describing (laughs) an orgasm (laughs) that she has while fantasizing about the moon. (laughs) And and how healing that that is for her. So it's Mm -hmm. it's uh, so yeah. (laughs) Well then two two pastors talk about sex anyway. uh, As we should because God is part of that. Absolutely. And sanctifies it. It makes it a sacrament, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll just say I really, from the from the perspective of being the introvert, you know, it sometimes it blows my mind that I get up on a Sunday morning every week and speak in front of people. Because when I was in high school, I was terrified to get in front of everybody and speak. I was part of speech and debate. And I'm going to be quite frank that I kind of sucked at it because <laughs> I just didn't have the the confidence to it. And so it's, it's really, you know, I resonated with that. And then being a single person, I resonated with that 
angst of being lonely or alone and is is there something defective about the fact that you know and i get her woundedness is different because she's been in a relationship and experienced even more rejection my rejection is i haven't found anybody <laughs> kind of thing so anyway moving on but it's just it was interesting from that perspective to hear her speak to these truths um it's interesting i think that that her loneliness is left unresolved in the special mm-hmm. I, I think she comes to yeah. a sense of peace in herself a sense of comfort in her own skin about it mm-hmm. um it, it, she reduces it to a sense of pain rather than a sense of suffering but she does leave it unfulfilled that you know she wants another relationship she hopes to find another relationship but she doesn't have one yet right and so and she may not have one and that's a scary truth that she i think leaves herself open to to finding Mm -hmm. well and that's you know it's interesting to feel lonely in the crowd Mm -hmm. you know she's out she's up in front of however many people and still feeling alone you know and so i think that it is a different thing being alone versus being lonely absolutely i wanted to say something really quickly about the role of the stand-up comic and the way Mm. in which i think she kind of she kind of undermines it and challenges it and reverses it because oftentimes you look at a stand-up comic like george carlin or lewis black they're very very much so social commentators they are social critics their point Mm -hmm. is their 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 entire raison d'etre is to point out absurdities in society especially politics and religion Uh, politics for lewis black religion and language for for george carlin but she turns it in jenny slate turns it inward right jenny slate's primary target is not society it's herself Mm-hmm. And, and there's sort of, I'm of, on the one hand, my, my initial response to it, um, and I've seen the special a number of times, was, you know, it's interesting that caustic humor is only moral, I believe, when it punches up and not down. Right. But it seems like she's punching down because it seems like she's punching at her own vulnerability. And then it, it really was later as I re- that I realized that, well, actually, she's taking ownership she's using that sort of of humor to take ownership of her own vulnerability and liberate herself from it so i I don't think that there's anything wrong with that Mm -hmm. there was a deep sense of empowerment that i Mm -hmm. saw well on the other hand though it seems to me is that it's much easier that the great with with few exceptions the great social critic comedians are all men and i was gonna i that was the next area i wanted to talk about of of women in comedy versus men and and you know it's interesting we have the marvelous mrs Maisel now as an example and she i haven't seen enough of that but she seems a little bit in that vein um but what do you make of the fact that it did hit a little bit differently i would i didn't struggle as much in the way that she talked about sexuality and all of that versus if guys are doing it in comedy there's a little bit of a difference for me of how it's done and and what do you and yes there's the gender element but how did that what do you make of that i guess well it's interesting so i i um am a fan of a number of of uh of female comics boy i hope that doesn't come out as well i have a number of black friends no 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 it just i'm saying it as a fact but like uh jenny slates and alice wetterland and and ali wong and and uh, um uh, Jen Kirkman and you know folks like that and what I notice is is that you can compare them to other stand-up comics like um, I always keep coming back to them so Maya Culpa, Lewis Black, uh, Bo Burnham, George Carlin, uh, Dane Cook etc that actually it's the female stand-up comics who I think are a little bit more open about talking about sex than the male stand-up comics. The male stand-up comics I find are more often interested in talking about like more abstract general social issues whereas female stand-up comics oftentimes have to feel like they have to make fun of themselves one and two Mm. they 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 make fun of sex especially especially amy schumer like um, uh, her her sexuality is is very much so the target of her humor it is everything in her humor and what i wonder about is if that is a, 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 a sort of in a broad sense, what Jenny Slate is doing here, that it's sort of, uh, it's, it's taking this sense of, 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 God, I'm talking about something I don't know. 
well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it and then, and then submit myself for ridicule. It's taking the sense of, of you know, the, the repression of feminine sexuality and deliberate it through humor. That's, mm-hmm. my, yeah. that's my theory as one without authority. <laughs> no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good read on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it's interesting for me, it felt like, you know, there was this kind of progression along the way as she got into that more and then it, it does kind of it is interesting that when she's talking about climax that is kind of the climax of her show yes <laughs> you know yes there's an interesting parallel process there well it starts it starts sort of i mean the the the, the sexuality in then the program starts out sort of kind of on the surface right as she gets mm-hmm. a little flirtatious here and there but she talks about other things primarily and then more and more and then she starts to be more open about it until finally it builds up and builds up and builds up into a climax it's mm-hmm. like the entire show is one big orgasm joke but <laughs> i let's go there in this sense that um i i feel like one of the greatest harms that the church does, um, especially the Catholic church, as, as one who is a Catholic, is on the issue of sexuality and on the taking of sex and turning it into something that is shameful mm-hmm. and something that should be looked at through a lens of legalism. Don't have sex before marriage. Why? Just because. Something about which we have to follow the rules, not that there aren't rules that we should follow, rather than something that is a blessing. I mean, it, it, it's really interesting that it's, it's very difficult, I feel, for Christians, especially in the Catholic Church and in the Evangelical Church, and even in the mainline liberal church, to even talk about sex in a way that isn't about talking about restriction and, you know, mm. keeping it within certain boundaries, right? It makes us uncomfortable, even those of us who don't buy into all of those boundaries, it makes us uncomfortable. I I think we're even, I'm uncomfortable in this conversation. I am too. But (laughs) like, oh my gosh, this is, uh, and yet it is a freeing thing to, to say, we are going to take that power back and we are going to have the conversations about what healthy relationship looks like, what healthy fulfillment looks like. Well, it's, it's ownership, and I think what Jenny Slate seems to suggest is that it's ownership of one's own self. Mm-hmm. Is that, and, and to me, like, and, and we learn a little bit about this in clinical pastoral education. It's part of clinical pastoral education theory that you can't help other people until you know it. it, it well, let me back up. You, you help other people by off, in, in a pastoral sense by offering yourself to them, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't offer yourself to them until you know it, what it is that you're offering. And that implies a a deep sense of self-ownership and self-awareness. And so I would translate that into a a sense of consent, right? The, the, The big word that's, I think, being discussed these days in, in, in conversations about sexuality more broadly, especially in politics, is the nature of consent. And I think that a lot of our fundamentalist sisters and brothers are thinking of it more in a, in a puritanical sense. Like the, the big thing about sexuality is how to remain pure. Whereas I think the more healthy approach is how to remain yourself and how to know when you're giving yourself freely versus being coerced into mm-hmm. being uncomfortable, unsafe and someone else's possession. And, and to that extent, one of the things that I thought was really neat in how they did this was the cutting between of the comedy and the clips from home movies or conversations with their family, because it, it really was her giving context and giving of herself to kind of understand where some of these pieces came from. Um, yeah, was, and I really was, liked that. It was so creative. I never seen that before in a comedy special. Because, because I mean, and, and, and for the listener, it, it, uh, the comedy special goes, jumps between um, her doing her set and then sort of a, a kind of documentary in which she's sort of having conversations with her family um, in her home. They're, they're not on the stage or anywhere near the theater. They're, they're actually in their family home, which itself is a character in the show that we'll get into in a minute. Yes. <laughs> But they're in the family home and they're just having conversations. And, and it, it, it's sort of, a, as, as Pastor Michelle said, it, it gives a kind of context for who this person is that we're listening to tell jokes. And so the, it, it makes the show less about her doing a set and telling jokes as a sort of self-offering to the audience. I, I want to talk about the house as a character itself, but I want to jump back a little bit to the role of the comic as prophet 
but even looking at like the role of the fool in Shakespeare's plays or in the courts. And I did a whole paper on this for a class on Shakespeare. I talked about the, the fool being the only one who could really speak the truth to the king and be okay. And they probably are some of the smartest people in the room, actually, mm-hmm. because you have to understand what's going on and making sense of things to to make comedy work laughter has great power to enrage it also has great power to disarm Mm -hmm. um like one of the uh one of my favorite comedians um is uh yakov smirnov i know there's some controversy around around him from comedy nuts but I, i like his story anyway um i actually got to meet him but um in his uh one of his um missions he's sort of set out in in this politically charged climate to sort of help democrats and republicans learn to laugh together um his theory is and i think he's right is that we can work together better if we can learn to laugh at ourselves and at each other together now we don't have to agree but we can learn to laugh even at our own absurdity and and i think that there is a sense in which one of the ways that comedians have the opportunity to effectively speak prophetic truth to power is by doing so in such a way that disarms that you know yeah the 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 target gets it but is at the same time disarmed and is able to get it in a way that doesn't that isn't necessarily threatening on the other hand there is also room for truly threatening humor and truly threatening prophetic truth as would have been told by say the prophet jeremiah who wound up prison and then you know thrown down a well so i might have not answered i might have have taken gone off in a bit of a tangent there i'm sorry what we do you would know more about the shakespearean fool than i would so please continue yeah i'm i mean i just think about like the different ones in the different plays like king lear where sadly the king does kill the fool in a moment of insanity of after the whole situation but and then Flagstaff, just as a character, was kind of a recurring character in a lot of the different plays. And, you know, and there was the there. And it's interesting how there's the different kinds of comedy. There's the plays on words. There's the physical comedy. There's just different things. Would so. you see Puck in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream as as among the fool characters? Um, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I don't think he was technically designated as such, but in that play, yes, mm-hmm. he was kind of the mischievous one. Trickster. He was the one that made commentary. Yeah, I would say so. If we shadows of offended think that this and all is mended that we have but slumbered here while these visions did appear, you know, so so if you're offended, just pretend you were taking a nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought of Puck as you were as you were saying, because Puck is an interesting is an interesting type of comedian. Uh, not exactly a stand-up comic as as I am used to them, but uh, and I'm trying to think of stand-up comics that would be more puckish. Maybe um, there's a guy who uses a lot of physical. Uh, there's a, there's a woman too. I, I remember her name. Um, well, anyway, but but uh, the character of the trickster, the the one who not only points out absurdity but also really does trip you up. Like really does get involved in the scenario in the scene and just you know kind of trip you up. I mean, the serpent in the garden is a trickster, mm-hmm. right? And and a Q in Star Trek: The Next Generation is a is a, is a puckish character, kind of a, a trickster. Right. And I, mean, I don't think Jenny Slate is, and I, I don't I, I don't think uh, George Carlin, Lewis Black, or or any of like the litany of stand-up comics that that I tend to listen to would count. But I, I can't think of any. You you were, when you were talking about Shakespeare, that made me think of, of Puck, and I was wondering if there. Yeah. So let's talk about haunted houses. Oh, yeah. In the house. You know, what did you make of that whole conversation where I and I don't I have to confess it's been a few days since I've watched this. So a little bit flitted out of my mind to talk about other than just making light of, you know, absolutely. They believe this house is haunted. And (laughs) Jenny Slate traces her um, introversion and her her nervousness to having grown up in, in a haunted house mm-hmm. like she, she 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 really really attributes a great deal of importance to the fact that she grew up in a in a haunted house she she firmly believes that the house was haunted and all of her her relatives firmly believe that this house was haunted and it, it's really interesting and it hit it hit home for me because i I'm an agnostic on such things. I'm not an agnostic mm-hmm. when it comes to the existence of God, but I, I'm an agnostic when it comes to the existence well, I, I believe I get what the, you're saying. 
I believe the world is full of spirit, uh, is mm -hmm. pregnant with spirits. But but like when, when people talk about seeing a ghost, when people talk about paranormal investigations and that sort of thing, I, 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 I tend to, I, I, I don't disbelieve them, but I don't believe them. Yeah. And so um, that's about kind of where I fall to. But but my church ha had not the church that I, I attend now, but but the church that I was a, a part of for a while had a number of people who are very big, including one person you met, um, who are very big in paranormal investigation and exorcism. And it's, it's interesting because Jenny's father, Jenny Slate's father in the show talks about how they found a, uh, an old letter and thought that it was possessed in some sense and decided to burn it. And I, that, made me, that immediately made me think of some conversations that I had had with Father Casey. And, and I, I actually went and talked to him after I, I had watched this again. And he I was like, you're not supposed to burn haunted objects he's like no you're not you're supposed to tear them apart and bury them like mm -hmm. he, he went through this whole whole litany of the things you're supposed to do with things like ouija boards and and that's where we said that you know what would it look like if we would just laugh it into yes. oblivion yeah, yeah just oh look at this letter that they wrote <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting that, or, or you see a, a, a spirit about, you start like laughing as if, oh, oh, look at you. You can't touch me. <laughs> or, 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 you know, you just, or, hey, Charlie, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and who's to say that spirits are supposed to be malevolent? I mean, and that's one of the things when we do, right. when we do Ghostbusters at some point, I'm going to, I'm going to, one of the things that I love Ghostbusters, but one of the things that bothers me is the assumption is that the ghosts are bad or mm -hmm. pests to be controlled when in reality, the world is pregnant with spirits your spirits all, all along so there's a ghost in your house how do you know it's it's, it's a bad ghost maybe maybe you can be just your friendly little ghost sister hey how you doing ghost oh that's yeah. bad you know that sort of thing yes for the friendly ghost. yes <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's i i'm with you because it's like you know, of course, we profess a faith in the belief of things not seen. So in, in some sense that we, I agree, there's the spiritual world out there. I agree that it's like, mm, I don't know. I, if, if someone were to say to me, hey, my house is haunted. Can you come help? I think I would, I would come and I would spend time in the place with them. I would pray. I would talk them through it and then I'd pray a blessing I talk with uh I I talk with this I'm a Catholic I talk with the saints all the time I mean that that's yeah. my view on on ghosts I talk yeah. with ghosts all the time or as Dr. Shvala Smith whom we whom, whom we have uh we had on the program once uh once said I'm a hi I'm Dr. Sh Anthony Shvala Smith I'm a theologian and I see dead people um <laughs> What he yeah. meant by that, of course, was that one cannot be a Christian or a part of any religious tradition without communing with that great cloud of witnesses uh, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that we rely on. Because we don't just commune with Christ. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and the church and the community, both living and dead, that, mm -hmm. you know, we, we don't just inherit the, the faith of Christ. We inherit the faith of Christ as it has been passed from generation to generation. And so we have a relationship with all of these people who have come before us. Yeah, and the great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. I love All Saints Day, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's really, so here's the funny thing. I have had, there have been clergy that I've talked to who really don't want to do our All Saints, don't want to do All Saints Day stuff on All Hallows Eve. And I'm like, why? You know, Because we're Protestant, that's why. <laughs> and it's like, Talk about a perfect way to reclaim the history there and to say this isn't there's a reason and a tradition behind a lot of the things that are done. <laughs> and and Halloween is a little bit of, you know, there are there is definitely a branch of Halloween that makes light and has comedy over things that scare us. Right. It's really the whole purpose, I think, of it all is to mm -hmm. um, to demonstrate that we don't fear. You. Well, perhaps we have a healthy fear of evil, but we don't take it too seriously. We don't lose ourselves in our fear of it. We're not, we're not so narcissistic that we are terrified in, in the face of the uncertain. We, we can make light of uncertainty. And in general, I think that that, that is how the house functions. I, I still struggle with how the house functions because, I mean, Jenny's slate's set is very much so a, a unified whole. It's, it, everything sort of comes together and culminates at the end, but, but it's... Um, I always, I often struggle with how the house fits into that, right? The mm -hmm. haunted house fits into that. And I, I, 
to this day, I'm not really sure. I, I think it's, it's something that she comes to own. It's something that she comes to, to be okay with. Of course, mm-hmm. then, then it's interesting because at the end, it's revealed that she's, or she reveals that they're selling it. Yeah. And, and she's okay with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, and the other thing is that's where she goes home to after this divorce and she has she finds healing there that's you where know, she, she returns the... to her childhood room that really hasn't changed mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing so yeah i i, I that's a piece of the puzzle that that i i i think it's 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 a feature not a bog of course that that it's difficult to put that piece all together because on the one hand it's it's sort of the origin well no actually you know as we're as we're talking a lot of it it's the origin because she, she uses it as the origin of her nervousness right She's, she, right. she, she traces her own sense of social awkwardness to having grown up in this haunted house. And, and yet it's sort of coming back into her own, right? Coming back into the place where she got this social awkwardness at a time when she is so lonely, taking control of it and you know, having the climax that, that is healing. And, and I, I have to say really quickly that one of the shows that was pitched on the New Faith New Media uh, by our editor, Wesley, was Sex of Sacrament, right? Or, or Sacrament of Sex. Mm-hmm. But to me, um, you know, watching her describe this climax of hers, that brought it home to me, you know, how sexuality can, it can be a sacrament of, of walking through into this kind of spiritual catharsis, this spiritual mm-hmm. realization of, of a kind of ecstasy. Mm-hmm. So even, and it maybe even especially in her case, when it's masturbation. Yes. Yes. <laughs> which is another thing that we're not very comfortable talking about, especially, I mean, right. it's, you know, it, it, it's easy. Sex is easy to talk about when it's an abstraction, right? When, when we're talking about a, a husband and a wife who are not us, right? Um, yeah having sex because then they are an abstraction but when we talk about our own experience even now you can you probably can hear oh listener that I'm kind of stumbling a bit yeah so. <laughs> yeah which it, I think it's funny that I am like inside I'm like oh my gosh we're talking about all this and and yet I've gotten to this place where I'm like yeah let's talk about it <laughs> well in to some extent, I, I guess an ethical question that I wonder is, to, to some extent, I wonder if the discomfort is healthy. Mm. Because I, I, I wonder... It means we take it seriously. It also means that we recognize it as something with power that can hurt. Yes. Especially children. The, the, the sense of... I, I've come to believe that the sense of, um, how shall I say, discomfort with seeing children as sexual beings is something that can be very healthy and very right. important now, i don't maybe there are people it's an important way of helping to protect children from mm-hmm. being hurt so and establishing boundaries so edit the space out because i'm still trying to think of where or, we're going next or keep the space and this part in it that we're talking about this kind of meta part because I, I wonder if the comedy of this episode is you cut two pastors who were um educated in deeply conservative seminaries now we come from the mainline liberal well, Christian tradition st paul isn't deeply conservative i think it see i think it is i i i, I and i i would accuse <laughs> the mainline liberal tradition of being deeply conservative in this regard Okay. I, I think that we think of ourselves as rad and cool and hip, but in in, in reality, we're we're still very much so formed in that 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 puritanism, that 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 mm-hmm. puritanical approach yeah. to, to sexuality that we haven't gotten gotten away from. Yeah, we and, still, as clergy in the United Methodist Church, we have the boundary of single celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage, and all of that. Yeah, and I I, I think that's an issue that we probably shouldn't talk about. Like whether or not we agree with the, or whether or not what, what are our thoughts mm-hmm. on the? Um, of course, we're talking about it. What are we doing? Whether or not what are what our thoughts are on the on those rules, right? Because I think that's a part in which to critique it, if we're going to critique it, which is a way of saying that we may not critique it, um, if we were to be put on the spot, could get us in trouble. Because you know, if I were to say, for instance, that actually I'm not sure that monogamy is always the best arrangement well i might get in a lot of trouble with uh with my church yeah right? 
And we and we've talked about the whole cluster that's going on in the Methodist church as a whole as we navigate those issues. And so, yeah, we'll just leave it there and just say it's interesting being in those traditions and dealing with all of that. Yeah, on the other hand, I think I'm going to lay a prophetic critique against us. We should talk about it. I don't mm-hmm. think we should, I, I'm not saying we're going to, but mm-hmm. we should. We, sh- we, yeah. we should have the courage to do so. We don't. And so yeah. we're not, but we should. Hmm. So do we have stage fright? Yes. And <laughs> I don't know about you, Pastor, but I'm not really ready to, to do a Jenny Slate, to pull a Jenny Slate tonight. I'm not really yeah, ready to, me to, either. to so, claim it in a bold way. I'm, you know, yeah. one has to be wise. And right. uh, you know, <laughs> one can be prophetic and at the same time be wise. So. Yeah. So another element that I can't ex- I guess, let me put it this way. What do you make of, you know, there's a fair amount of mention of the Jewish faith of the family. What do you make of that as, as it informs the comedy, the conversation, the. Well, I want to be careful here because we're not Jewish. Right. Absolutely. Um, I do think that one of my favorite parts in it is when she describes going to mass, that she was Mm. visiting a Catholic mass, uh, a midnight mass. And Mm -hmm. she very, very self-deprecated deprecatingly makes fun of her own Jewish faith. Uh, She describes Christian hymns as being happy and and joyful, and then most of them are. And then she talks about, you know, she, her, 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 (laughs) they tried to kill us in the past. (laughs) And and, and then there's another great, uh, great line that she has about worrying is not a part of your culture. Oh, Christian. I, I butchered the line, but that was sort mm. of it. like worrying is not a part of your culture. And I, I thought that was prophetic. That, that may be the one point in, in her entire stand-up special where she goes from self-deprecation into actual social comment, social critique, because yeah. it, it really does critique Christian culture. And there's, there's such a great truth in it. I mean, all of our hymns are praise hymns. All of our hymns are talk about how wonderful God is. There's very little lament. There's very little fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, our worship does a really poor job of really engaging with um, with the darker side of, mm-hmm. of human existence, even though the Bible, it's all over the Bible. And I think that there's a sense in which that is a result of Christianity having an alliance with the sinful powers that be, that Christianity, in, in, especially in the West, has has become the persecutor, not the persecutee, has become the, the center of power and the center of what, what defines culture. And so as a result, we don't worry about things. We don't have to. And dare I even say there's a certain element of toxic positivity there too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know, it seems like I get really annoyed with the too blessed to be stressed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I think it's, it's a much healthier way of dealing with here I am evaluating her faith. Forgive me. I, I, I find her, I, I find her, well, I, I'm evaluating her way of dealing with it. Not so much the Jewish way of dealing with it, but I find her way of dealing with stress much healthier. Although one of the risks sometimes of comedy is that you can use, and she even accuses herself of this a little bit. Sometimes comedy is used as a deflection. Yes. And, then, and she and then even says the more scared she gets, the more the comedy wants to come out. Well, yeah. And, and it's interesting that there there's there is the humor that is um, that that is uh, sort of a funnier version of the bumper sticker theology. That we often, you know, too blessed to be stressed. Right. That, that mm-hmm. bumper, those trite aphorisms that don't mean anything. Right. Mm-hmm. All they do is anesthetize pain. Yeah. rather than help us folks i'm just going to call it if you can put it on a bumper sticker it's not deep enough theology thank Probably you very not. much yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and and, and it, it, it's interesting that she she really juxtaposes the toxic positivity of christianity and i accuse my entire faith of having that toxic positivity mm-hmm. with with her optimism because i think there's a difference between mm-hmm. her optimism yeah. um there's an optimism that comes out of having walked through hell and knowing there's another side yes and she hopes and i think her her optimism is best expressed in her hope for another relationship for another Mm -hmm. go at love um that 
and it, it isn't uh, toxic positivity. And, oh, you'll find someone, Jenny. I think it acknowledges the reality. Well, you may not. And, uh, uh, but, it, but it is, a, it, it comes from having walked through her divorce and, and her deep and profound loneliness um, and acknowledging. And, you know, and it, it, so there's, there's the humor that becomes a kind of trade, a trade aphorism. Right, that helps us to deflect away from facing things, but there's also the humor that 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 confronts it dead on. And I really find Jenny Slate's humor is confronting. Like yeah. it is her way of not anesthetizing or deflecting, perhaps a little disarming, but I think that's different. Of mm-hmm. of con- but but really confronting the reality of who she is and finding healing there. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting, isn't it, that healing seems to be the big theme of this whole mm-hmm. thing, you know, because if I were to say that there is one goal of Christianity, it is Christ's desire that we find wholeness and healing. Life and life abundant. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that the healing moment of the orgasm is is a kind of cosmic orgasm? Mm-hmm. There's a real mysticism in that moment, I felt, because she's making love to the moon. Yeah. in a sort of joking sort of way but i think nevertheless it's a it's a kind of realizing her of her place in the cosmos right and it, it made me think of the symphony of science so there's a there's a wonderful youtube video or a series of youtube videos out there listener called symphony of science absolutely beautiful one of them features uh bill nye and and carl sagan and 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 niels grast heisen and, and richard feynman it opens with uh, niels grast heisen saying we are all connected to each other biologically um, to the earth chemically, to the rest of the world atomically. And, you know, the whole point is this kind of mysticism of, of realizing, you know, just how nature is put together chemically and mm-hmm. physically. And uh, um, yeah, we're all made of the same stardust. <laughs> yes, uh, like, indeed. The, 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 one of the lines in that very video is, is um, the cosmos is also within us. We are made of star stuff. We are away the cosmos can know itself yeah and so i i really thought that there was and maybe i'm just reading too much into this but i really thought there was something really very deep going on in the orgasm when she realizes sort of her place yeah in 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 this grand cosmos through Mm -hmm. having sex with the moon (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean and and again I, i come back to this theme of the distinction between that happening individually but then also part of the genius of like like i said of her having interviews with her family and that kind of thing is that she very much has a strong community around her as well and i think that that's you know this this oneness versus community is an interesting tension to live within one of my favorite moments in the entire was was, was the nana connie moment mm-hmm. the the um when she talks about her her uh her, her grandma who is always very positive. <laughs> I heard her description of her Nana Connie as sort of loving criticism. On the one <laughs> hand, she loves her very deeply and she's such a wonderful, wonderful person, but she's also potentially a toxically positive person. She's the one, and, and I, she, 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 she starts uh, the, uh, describing how Nana Connie talks and is like, you are gorgeous. Not only are you gorgeous, not only are you smart, but you're good. And then she turns to the audience and goes, suck on that, bitches. And it's like, <laughs> it's like uh-huh. and making fun of that, that, that positive narcissism. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Or, or, you know, there's also the sense of you're good, deal with it, or mm-hmm. I'm good, deal with it. You know, and how we navigate life together. And so if you had to write a sermon on this uh, comedy, (laughs) (laughs) so if you were willing to get fired by your district superintendent by writing a sermon on the basis of this uh, comedy show, which you will have obviously showed in your church, what would the takeaway be for the congregation? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, So, you know, funny enough, I tackled Song of Songs not too long ago. And it worked out really well, but, you know, I, I kind of talked about how, you know, intimacy with God and relationship and, and how that was important. And I didn't do it in terms of, I didn't do sometimes what happens among Christian interpretation of song of songs is we play to this place of it's a metaphor for our relationship with Christ. And it kind of spiritualizes what's a very carnal moment. 
What's interesting, though, if you follow that lot, my, I agree, and and that there's absolutely no indication whatsoever in, in Song of Songs that that we're, that you're supposed to make that move, none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like you're not supposed to yeah. spiritualize it. However, to me, it's just about delighting in love and being in relationship. It, it's biblical erotica. That's all it is. I, yeah. I'm sorry. That it, it's erotica. But the yeah. thing is, is all right. Okay, fundamentalist. Fundamentalist. Okay. All right, fundamentalist. Fundamentalist. Okay. Spiritualize it. Don't you realize how that makes it even more <laughs> scandalous? Because essentially what you're doing is you're suggesting, and I love where you're going. I love where you're going. I think, I think it's actually great. I think it's great. But I don't think you realize exactly where you're going. You're suggesting that there's a sexual element to your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I think that's brilliant. But, but I don't think you realize exactly where you're going with that. I think that would scandalize them just yes. a little bit. Yes. So... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think that's probably part of the direction I would go with it. And um... I, 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 I think I would talk about sex as sacrament. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'd use the opportunity to talk about uh, 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 the nature of sacrament itself and how mm-hmm. we, we in the Catholic tradition talk about there are seven sacraments, but actually there are many sacraments. Of course, in the Roman tradition, they would say there are seven sacraments and the rest are sacramentals, which are kind of lesser things. And I don't buy that. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, yeah. I buy the Eastern Orthodox version, which says, no, there are many sacraments and indeed all life can be a sacrament. Well, mm-hmm. I talk about like the process of sacrament of encountering God, walking through process and then culminating in mm-hmm. a, a new and and deeper way of encountering god's grace and god's mm-hmm. presence yeah because the sacrament is ultimately by the augustinian definition is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace yeah and it's interesting I, I i you and i i think have have some some not a disagreement but a difference of emphasis on how we think of sacraments because whenever we talk about sacraments you, you often bring up saint augustine in that um in that way and i think he's absolutely right but i often think of it more and please don't hear this as correction pastor michelle i'm not trying to correct yeah. you or say or disagree with you or anything but i often hear it more in the in 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 the eastern orthodox sense of it being a real mystical experience of an encounter mm-hmm. um yeah. and so and there, i think i agree i think there is mystery to it well yeah and so 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 to me like like yes there is symbolism in the sense that there is something going on underneath that the sacramental action is representing but the sacramental action is in a very real sense magical and i'm i'm using that term very unconsciously and very intentionally it is Mm -hmm. a magical action i don't mean it in a pagan sense but it is so hear that you fundamentalists who don't like magic yes (laughs) what Um, what we do on sunday mornings with the sacrament of holy communion is magic (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting. Maybe, that, okay, maybe that's a little bit of heresy in there, but, well, you know. The difference between that kind of magic and the kind of naturalistic magic that, that are mm-hmm. found in certain other faiths, and no disrespect to those other faiths, this is a disagreement. We don't, you know, we're, no. we're not. Anyway, is that um, ultimately it is God's grace that determines the efficacy of the sacrament, and it is God who initiates right. and has an, in, 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 in has the um, um has the initiative and control over the encounter of the sacraments, mm-hmm. but but there very much so is a sense in which there is written there there is actual encounter in that for instance the the baptism is not just a symbol of the washing away of sins it is the washing away of sins Eucharist is not just a symbol and of course there's some disagreement between the two of us I think on this mm-hmm. Michelle the Eucharist right. is not just a symbol of the presence of the body it is the physical body and blood of Christ right and that's that's sort of the difference between yeah the, there's the some theological and... hair parsing to do there sure there's, yeah I mean and, and I don't mean to minimize it I just we there are the ways that we have fleshed that out and mm-hmm. and tried to understand what's going on in the midst of that and how we experience it. You know, we as Wesleyans talk about sacraments as a means of grace. And we would use that term too as well, mm-hmm. means of encountering grace directly. That yeah. what's interesting though is that that for for me when I use the term magic here, uh, the magic that I I think it is absolutely not that sacraments are absolutely not is a means of manipulation. We're not manipulating God into encountering right. this in a specific way. Oftentimes in Catholic tradition, we have this dis- discussion over what makes a sacrament valid or invalid, uh, mm-hmm. licit or illicit. Like what are the proper ways to do it? And I, I find that entire discussion I mean it's somewhat helpful, but ultimately I I think that that's the wrong way to look at it. What makes yeah a like valid like we could God. like we could do anything 
that would mess it up. Right. You know? God makes the sacrament valid. God determines whether the Eucharist is is, yeah. is truly the and ultimately leave it to God. But mm-hmm. what I would say about sex is is that it follows the same pattern and the the culmination of you know encounter with one's lover. And it, when 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 one is sharing that moment is 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 beautiful and 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 potentially results in a in a new way of having that encounter with one's lover, the experience of of orgasm as well a, a, an act of thanksgiving for the ability to encounter that kind of ecstasy that God has given us. I mean, these are sacrament. These are sacramental things, sacramental realities. I think. And I'm not to the point at which I have the prophetic courage to give a sermon on this yet, but I think the church needs to say that. I really do. Yeah. So, Pastor Michelle, what's next? We will be watching a pick from Editor Wesley called Zardos, which I know basically nothing about. So I'll look forward to exploring. It's a 1974 American. Uh, 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 this is, by the way, listen. I just looked it up on on um, handy Wikipedia. Handy IMDb. Yeah, oh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. No, I, I, I. Uh, it's a, it's a shame for a good nerd to admit this, but I've never even heard of it. But it's uh, a 1974 um, science fiction fantasy film starring Sean Connery. Ooh, that should be fun. Yes. So anyway, we'll be watching Zardas. Very cool. Thank you for joining us today on Pastor and a Priest Walk into a Comedy Club. Uh, we are a production of New Faith New Media with editing provided by Wesley Morrison Sloat, music provided by Gail Gallagher. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today and want to continue to support our wonderful work, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. First of all, you can share on the socials and support through that medium. You can also give through our Patreon account at NFNM and um, support the work at whatever level works and whatever you're able to give. We are so grateful. And doing that will give you access to our monthly comedy round show with all of the new faith, new media folk. And we have a good time with Blessed Lunatics. You can also check out all of the other New Faith New Media shows, including Faith and What Resonates, which alternates with Pastor and her Priest on Wednesdays. And you can join us for Breaking Fast with St. Sparkle Bear, which release on alternating Fridays. We are so glad that you are part of this community where we can have fun together. We can nerd out. We can talk theology. And, and talk so- about sex. And about sex. So uh, we look forward to having you next time, and we wish you all the best. 